welcome back to the hysterical human it's been a pretty long hiatus and um blah blah apologies for that and happy new year guys i hope you had a good start to the year and all that jazz anyways getting back to today's topic or getting into today's topic uh it's geoengineering and i'm sure a lot of you if you would followed my instagram stories would actually know this because really i cannot keep a surprise and i'm super predictable so geoengineering it is so before i dive into what exactly and the details of this particular topic i'm going to give you the literal definition of geoengineering which according to wikipedia is quote on quote the deliberate and large scale intervention in the earth's climate system usually with the aim of mitigating the adverse effects of global warming which is un- understandable in itself and we have an entire episode to explain that so before i get into that the question arises we need to get some perspective here as to why did we decide to even come up with this magnum opus idea of geoengineering and it stems from a simple answer it is due to the fact that as humanity as a whole as an entity has failed to do anything constructive in bringing about remotely any change in our lifestyle in the way we live in the way we eat in the way we drink in the way we work in the way we do anything for that matter which can have a positive impact on the climate so it's basically due to the lack of societal proactiveness in mitigating climate change so in 2006 nobel laureate scientist paul crutzen had first reintroduced the idea of geoengineering to combat this looming apocalypse and i say reintroduced because geoengineering was already a very prevalent idea it's just that no one dabbled in it because no one thought we would ever reach a point in our lifetime where we literally have to play with the climate of an entire planet and it was in 2006 when we started to see how things were deteriorating the idea came up so it was taken into consideration and organizations and scientists all across the globe put some thought into it so since 2006 there have been more ideas there has been some research there is still research ongoing but to be honest not pro- much progress has been made constructively if you compare it with in terms of like software engineering technology 15 years ago we were at a completely different bandwidth 15 years later we have immense development in that field 15 like you cannot compare it but in terms of geoengineering we are still kind of stagnant while we have made progress there has not been as much investment in it as you would expect from a world that you think is losing its mind about the fact that it has a noose around its neck which is closing in really really fast but no one really gives a shit so that's exactly where we are right now i'll get into the details of it so um before i go into this again we all know in 2016 we had cop21 uh which was the paris agreement which was again a reduction of the kyoto protocol unfcc which is united nations uh, federation for climate change 
which is a culmination of over 153 150 plus countries so you can take it from 150 to 170 countries the number keeps dwindling in and about as countries enter and countries withdraw like we had us with trump and uh, with trump reigning over united states saying that they would withdraw from the paris agreement which is actually something that's happening and Trump has also put some changes into progress, which is currently going on. And I think by the end of 2020, right before his five years reign of terror is going to end, um, I think U.S. would be out of the Paris Agreement. But that's just what I read. I'm not sure about the details. Anyways, so it's a culmination of over 150 countries with a long-term goal. So I'm going to really emphasize on the word long-term because this is important here of keeping global temperature increase to under 2 degrees Celsius and if possible under 1.5 degrees Celsius with respect to pre-industrial temperatures. So the benchmark that we are comparing our current increase in temperatures with is pre-industrial temperatures because it's right after industrialization that things began to go to shit because that's when our reliance on fossil fuels dramatically increased. So as I mentioned, it's a long-term goal. So based on the articles that I read, the long-term goal that we are looking at after which uh, where we can genuinely see hard-hitting ramifications of our almost two, two centuries of terrible, terrible decisions is 2100. That's when scientists predict that the apocalypse can truly, truly hit. So they predict that it could either be by 2100 based on how we handle our life from here on it would it could be an increase of two degrees Celsius to three degrees Celsius or could go up to six to eight degrees Celsius. Now, if global temperatures increase by two to three degrees Celsius, that's that's cataclysmic too. But if it's six to eight degrees Celsius, we have no chance. There is no there is not gonna be any surviving human, and that is a very possible event by 2100. So and I'm not kidding because I have read this and this is true and this could happen. And although people say that a rise of 6 to 8 degrees is still on the farther side of things, it's a little more extremist. And 4 degrees Celsius is where we are looking at with our current development progress with the rate at which we are developing and the rate at which we are consuming fossil fuels. We are expecting a 4 degrees rise. A 6 to 8 is still possible because we still don't know completely or understand how the you know how the earth works how the planet works how nature works so now currently at this moment as i speak our global temperature is almost one degree celsius above the pre-industrial temperature so that's one degree celsius what was the paris agreement was to keep it under two degrees celsius two degrees celsius and if possible, to keep it under 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2030. Again, through a number of articles that I read, they say we are nowhere going to reach that goal. We're almost going to reach 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of 20, between 2020 to 2030. And there is no way we'll be able to make a difference by 2100 at this particular rate. So... There was, there have been no serious improvements, as I have already mentioned, by most nations to cut the 40 billion tons of annual carbon emissions 
and that is when geoengineering came into the picture so it didn't come exactly after the paris agreement it was already introduced before that but this is when i can truly say that when you see when you truly see how even 170 countries coming together has not fundamentally made any impact you decide to go something you decide to go with something like geoengineering so um as i mentioned earlier it's a man made drastic change in climate across the globe it is broadly divided into two scopes the root of all evil here is global warming which stems from the fact that too much heat is either absorbed or too less heat is radiated back into space from the atmosphere so there were two approaches devised or two ways to divide this approach one is cdr which is carbon dioxide removal and the second is srm which is solar radiation management now each of these methods has quite a few ways that i shall talk about a couple of them would sound hysterical so let's start with cdr as the name suggests it is to remove carbon dioxide a couple of ideas have been toyed around with and a couple are in action but remember this most of them are still at their infancy so the first idea under cdr is carbon capture and sequestration sequestration is literally when you capture carbon dioxide and store it in either a solid or a liquid form by and convert it into a solid or a liquid form through an artificial process carbon capture is capturing carbon literally so from what i've read um this idea is the most promising idea that i've actually come across and that's my personal opinion and this is backed by bill gates so okay let me just get into this so while elon musk and jeff bezos think that you know let's flee the earth and let's create a different empire on a different planet bill gates has actually de- decided to invest his money into saving the very planet that we live in so let's see who wins in the long run so it's been fi- funded by bill gates who is one of the persons who's funding this particular experiment and here comes the big catch this particular idea is also being funded by some of the largest oil conglomerates in the world and spoiler it's causing it has obviously caused enormous controversy amongst the environmentalists in that community because they go they are like you are literally meddling with our carnal law you are letting the people who hid climate change from us for over two decades the same people who spent millions and millions of dollars to twist scientists scientists findings into pr pr plots and pr ideas and and let people believe that climate change is a myth for two decades and the very same people are investing in one of the ideas that you devised to to save our planet from the advent of greenhouse gases so that's a that's a debate in itself and a lot of environmentalists are against it they believe that you do not need an artificial carbon capture method and you can just go with afforestation and reforestation which is the natural way of planting trees and letting trees absorb carbon dioxide now before i get into why this is a crappy idea which is my personal opinion let's talk about what exactly happens in a carbon capture plant 
works in a really really simple way so you have tons of enormous fans which suck out the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and they filter it out and they saturate this carbon dioxide and heat it up to around 100 degrees celsius which then forms concentrated carbon dioxide gas and this gas is then just supplied to the customers who pay for it so here comes the question did i just say pay for it yeah pay for it so the carbon capture and sequestration plant is also an investment which is the main reason why the oil companies are investing in it because their motto is really simple as much carbon dioxide as we release into the atmosphere we absorb or we suck the same carbon dioxide back and the cycle keeps on going so that's their plan and um, well i'm not exactly sure of the logistics and how shitty this plan could get because again the, re the research is ongoing but i believe it's it's effective it could be effective although yes it goes against the very idea of completely shying away from fossil fuels which are responsible for everything that's going on so but it has its own disadvantages so one of the disadvantages is obviously um the fact that we are reusing fossil fuels we are again dabbling with satan and it could end really really badly the first one is that and the second one is so we are sucking carbon dioxide from the atmosphere now carbon dioxide although it's a greenhouse gas it is still very pertinent to how our entire cycle of life works so there is a question of sucking too much carbon dioxide or there's a question of sucking too much carbon dioxide only from one part of the atmosphere so you need these carbon capture plants to be equally distributed across the globe sucking the right amount of carbon dioxide without disbalancing the system in order to do that you need to scale them the question is of scalability so for this to achieve high scalability the carbon that the carbon capture plants are generating needs to be marketed at $100 per ton for us prices itself this is extremely expensive so for us it's expensive at 100 dollars per ton but specialists are predicting that it could get much more expensive and it could go as high as 400 dollars per ton with with extra charges for sequestration so for developing countries like india or china or bangladesh or africa this is an enormous stupendous amount which is completely unaffordable so you will be having some countries which have carbon capture plants which are able to regulate their carbon dioxide and you have another part of the world which is intoxicated with carbon dioxide and there is nothing we can do so you're creating an entire disbalanced system and you're ruining an entire planet so that question is yet um to be answered and we have no idea how they're going to answer it the economics behind it is something which is mind boggling and i haven't exactly done enough research on it because I'm still like you know not super smart enough to get the economy a global economy question, but of all the approaches that I have read till now, including SRM, this is being the most promising and viable approach, and we need to see where this goes in a couple of years. So this was the main one. Now let's come to more questionable ones. Um, a lot of experiments have been done in this, but people have still not understood the consequences of some of the ideas that they have suggested so 
it's just mainly opinions and not 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 necessarily knowledge but you can just check it out and make it form an opinion by yourself but one of the other ideas suggested for cdr was fertilization of oceans so which is basically a simulation of phytoplankton growth which need carbon dioxide which absorb carbon dioxide in order to grow which is literally phytoplankton growth so they combine carbon with inorganic nutrients to produce organic matter so you'll be like oh my god this is perfect you know and phytoplankton is literally the food for half the marine system but it's not perfect so in order to fertilize oceans you need to introduce uh, nutrients such as iron phosphorus etc which again we have no idea how much nutrients we need to introduce into entire ocean bodies and how impactful that could be on an entire marine life because every animal would react to it in a different way and there are millions of animals so it would be impossible to study the effects of introducing one nutrient in excess into an entire body of ocean and figure out okay how is this going to affect a million animals no fucking clue an experiment was done on this though it was done on an extremely small body of water well definitely there was phytoplankton growth stimulated and the amount of carbon dioxide was reduced but scientists noticed that the the amount of time it took for the carbon dioxide to reduce was extremely long and it's a really really slow process and that is a slow process is not what we are looking for and they still could not figure out all the possible side effects which such a large scale pro- process could have which as i already mentioned so that was one of the ideas and the other one is called as accelerated weathering which is basically silicate weathering or pulverizing rocks and spreading them across the land to increase co2 absorption because rocks absorb carbon dioxide but this is a completely bullshit idea because it's com- hazardous for our health imagine breathing like silicates and stuff like that we will die so yeah that was that's pointless and that was pushed to the side so this comes under cdr there are a couple more examples but i just mentioned these three because i think these were the three things that people should know the next is called srm or solar radiation management so this is basically now this again is divided in two ways so it's either to reduce the amount of solar radiation that is absorbed by the atmosphere or to reduce the amount of solar radiation that actually reaches the earth's atmosphere which is a bit preposterous so i'll get to that again this also has one more promising idea which is again backed by bill gates i think bill gates is like this epitome that of, of a human that we look up to and if bill gates says yes oh my god the world says yes so at least for me so i'm like okay it's backed by bill gates i got to mention this so it's called a stratospheric aerosol injection which is basically deployment of aerosols which we all know we find it in our deodorants room sprays fridges and stuff like that into the stratosphere which is um they're basically sprayed all over the stratosphere in flights and jets like that in order to facilitate higher reflection of sunlight but it's super super bad for the ozone layer because it's the one thing that is responsible for the depletion of the ozone layer which is in itself again a big 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 issue so there is an ongoing research 
group at Harvard University called as the Kutz Research Group. So I'm going to spell it out to you because it's a German word and I do not know how to pronounce it. It's K-E-U-T-S-C-H. So you can check it out, which basically currently the research is still ongoing and they have considered instead of using aerosols, let's use calcium carbonate as the sunlight diffuser. It has barely any health ramifications and can and and this is a big plus it can even reduce the amount of ozone depleting gases so it can actually reduce the cause of ozone depletion like sulfates and aerosols and stuff like that in the atmosphere so win-win but this is just an initial theory and initial experiment and it's still ongoing and it's going to take a while but this is the promise and as of right now that's the premise so that was the promising thing. Now, again, let's go into the more outrageous ideas that were suggested, which, to be honest, you know, if I think about it, a few, a couple decades down the lane, I don't think some of these ideas would be outrageous, but you guys could let me know. You guys can just tell me, am I right or am I wrong? Am I just paranoid that, you know, these could actually be implemented? Or do you guys think that, you know what, it could be, you never know. So one of them, is uh, installing giant sunlight reflectors in outer space at points called as Lagrange point, which I think is where, uh, according to space stuff, the Earth's gravity and the sun's gravity matches. So these particular giant sunlight reflectors would not, would just be stagnant in that particular position because they will be balanced by two opposing forces of gravity, Earth and sun. So they just hang there and they reflect most of the sunlight, which hopefully will reduce the Earth's temperature. But then you can imagine the logistics of it. How much are they going to reduce the Earth's temperature? Will they reduce the Earth's temperature evenly? What's going to happen if they reduce the temperature too much? What if they do not reduce the temperature and actually reflect it in such a way that it might actually reflect back at a higher, at a higher scale onto certain parts of the planet? So there are a lot and a lot of questions and they're all unanswered and let's see. That's one. Second is a more basic, normal way of doing this. So if I've lived in Hyderabad and if you guys have lived in any hot cities like Hyderabad, you would know that during the summer, we paint our roofs in white and we call that cooling paint. So it's literally to reflect off sunlight because white reflects sunlight and it kind of reduces temperatures. So this actually has a scientific term. It's called a surface albedo approach, where albedo stands for the amount, the term that we use to assess the amount of solar diffusion. Okay. So right now what we're aiming for is high albedo. So we need anything and everything which has super high albedo. And so literally one of the ideas is actually to paint the rooftops of houses and buildings and anything which actually has a roof or a surface white and in deserts and stuff to install solar panel reflectors, which can actually reflect the sunlight. So that's the ideas under SRM. At the end of both these approaches, there is one important thing I got to say, and that is the start of even a remote dependence on geoengineering is the beginning of the end of our self-reliance. There is no going back to the ordinary way of living. We will always 
and forever be dependent. And as per the Global Risks Report 2020, so this report was released this year, climate change is our biggest risk as of yet. With climate inaction and extreme weather topping the impact versus likelihood chart, and I just went through the report. And if you want, I can just put a link of the report down in the description box, and you guys can check it out. It is our biggest challenge for the next decade. So now I'm going to talk about where India stands in geoengineering, and that's honestly not a lot because I couldn't find much. Uh, there was this paper that I read, and through that, India's perspective is basically divided into six super theoretical ways. There are no experiments, there are no scientific scientific views. It's just six different ways of putting what India's government thinks about geoengineering. So the first one is obviously the most traditional approach you can expect an Indian government to approach it as we are playing with God. Second is the moral hazards of it. Third is the uncertainties of the technologies, which is which is not uncalled for. It is very very it's fair. Fourth is the fear of unilateral action and weaponization, which is again really really fair because if you ever do create a geoengineering process, then obviously the larger superpowers will be having maximum power, and that would again put India at risk. Fifth is public participation and transparency. So this is actually a super um debatable debate as to how exactly do you want the public to know about this so it's not going to be like the movie apocalypse where the people the whole world was not informed about the fact that hey you know why you're going to die in like 10 seconds man and just a few of the rich and the powerful were saved so yeah there's that i think the whole world took a lesson from the movie apocalypse and is debating as to how transparent can we be with the public Sixth is jurisdiction and governance concerns, which is the same. So, to give an example of how bad this problem of jurisdiction and governance concerns is, a uh, COP25, which is the 25th meeting, climate meeting, which happens, uh, the parties were supposed to come up with some sort of a handbook as to if a one particular country devises this geoengineering method, which can solve a crisis. then how can another country implement that same business model what kind of a business transaction could take place between them without each of them losing some of their natural resources and they couldn't come to an agreement through that and it's going to be another 5 years before this matter is looked into again so in the process we are losing 5 valuable years of a very crucial decade which is 2020 to 2030 which comes to my next important point which i'll get to in a minute So through these six points I think you can understand that honestly this is just six points of bullshit like there is not one point where you go like okay it's doing something so India does not have any official climate policy on geoengineering and to be honest most countries do not so we cannot put India at fault there uh if there's one or two things that i could find and mention is that there was an experiment that was being conducted by on uh, srm which is solar radiation management specifically speaking stratospheric aerosol um injection which i had already mentioned at iisc bangalore and um it yielded results of how this particular experiment could completely ruin our weather patterns it could impact precipitation so it's basically 
not a good idea stay out of it but the research is still ongoing as to how we can make it better more impactful by reducing the horrif- horrifying ramifications of it and um, yeah we shall see how that goes so this is basically geoengineering and i gave it it's it's really really short and to be honest there's not a lot more that you can find obviously if you go deeper you will find a couple of experiments and you can understand the science behind it but this is the basic gist of it these are the methods the way it's classified and in particular what india could possibly be doing which is not much and it could be possibly doing stuff right now which we don't know about because we do not have an official policy of transparency and there is that but i want to end this by mentioning a few facts like i really really need to bring a few facts to your attention or otherwise i wouldn't do justice to why i even created this particular episode of my podcast so the first thing is 2020 to 2030 is the climate emergency decade it's If you go beyond this there is no looking back we will begin to experience a loss of life at enormous scales and the most important thing from this is women and children have a likelihood of dying from climate change 14 at 14 times more than men so fact number 1 second arctic permafrost is thawing it is thawing and i'm sure you would have seen the world economic forums um, posts on instagram and um, it does say that thermofrost is is thawing and as it thaws a lot of bacteria and diseases that were trapped under it millions and millions of years ago that we have no idea about will be released which is absolutely true and the other thing which is really important is there are millions and millions of tons of carbon under that thermofrost so as it thaws it releases more and more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere which is literally accelerating the one thing that we are dreading so that's point number 2 point number 3 if we want a shot at survival we need to bring down emissions by 7.6% annually starting from 2020 to 2030 so every year from 2020 to 2030 we need to bring down our emissions by 7.6% Currently our rate of emissions increases every year by 2.5% annually. So just do the maths. Do the maths as to what the hell are we going to do? Fourth, we are no closer to achieving a milestone on climate change than we were 15 years ago. We have all the facts, we just have no solution. And last, we're all young and this is like a personal thing. and uh, as i had already mentioned i don't i'm okay i'm not sure if i mentioned to be honest so i'm going to mention it once again we're all young and a lot of us are looking to study a certain degree as we proceed for ms or mtech or whatever it is that we want to study and it's not like i am doing this myself but if there's anyone out there who's brave enough and smart enough and wise enough I urge you take up a degree which can actually help you understand the science behind what we can do what's going on study geoengineering study climate engineering study sustainable energy and this is this is um, not me telling you what to do this is just a request and I don't know if this is me just crossing a line or but it's me going out on a limb 
because this was the very purpose of creating this particular podcast and i hope you guys i don't know got something out of it i do not want to talk about oh my god how the world is ending because i think we all know how the world is ending um so that's it to be honest i do not exactly have the most eloquent words to end this with except for the fact that check it out guys check out a different way to understand what is happening and pitch in help because we are the only ones who can because it is our generation and i'm sure you guys know that i'm just repeating the words blah blah but yeah that's it and i think i'm going to link a couple of links down below which you can check out it's on some papers videos and the risks report world economic forum risk report of 2020 that i was talking about so check it out and that's it people have a good one bye bye